Jesus took the wrath of God for us. He, the imagery is that he drank this for us. He finished the cup of God's wrath for us. And so I think keeping that in, in the whole, how could a loving God, well, how could a loving God send his son? And, and if he, you know, didn't spare him, how will he withhold anything good from us? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of thing. Welcome to the green room a space where leaders from the Austin Stone invite college students to have vulnerable conversations about relevant topics. What's up, everyone? Today, we're going to be talking about one of the most sensitive topics in the Bible, theology, and Christian thought. This is why we invited our friend Greg Brazil to discuss this with us on the podcast today. So, Greg, welcome to The Green Room. What's up, guys? We made it happen finally after three different, oh, three different schedules. Uh, reschedules. And, <laughs> that was mostly my fault. And it's on tax day. I apologize for that. <laughs> Tyler getting sick and was on tax day. So what better way to talk about this issue than on uh, the 17th. So good to be here. Yes, sir. People don't know, Greg, that not only are you a great theologian, but you're a phenomenal CrossFitter. And you have beaten me many times. Many times. And hey, you don't have to not do that. that many. Not, not that many. Not that many. Every now and then. <laughs> There's no overhead. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I, I'm really excited for you to be here for this topic specifically, um, because I think one of the things I've loved about getting to know you over the years is the way that you have are so well read and broadly read, I think a lot of people, a lot of us read, particularly around things that we're familiar with or comfortable with, and people don't know. But uh, I think, how how long do you think you could be by yourself and just read? Like, do you think you could do it for a week straight? By my, nobody in the room, nobody, nobody around, never no, no human just by contact. I could go a week. I could go a week solid. <laughs> wow. If I'm if I if I need to be, if I need to be something that if there's something that I'm just like I've got to learn about this. Yeah. I'm going to go read every book I can get my hands on and every authoring that's, you know, that's out there on it. So even like this issue, I'm like, I'm going back through older things I've not right. read in forever, just brushing up on things. And mm -hmm. so when there is a, when there is a topic out there where I'm like, I don't know anything about that yeah. and I want to, yeah. I'm Do you I'm remember when, when, so. when the Enneagram, before anyone the Stone was talking about Enneagram and you yes. started reading it? We, yes. And I we think, were patient zero and, and one yeah, with Enneagram. Basically at the Austin Stone. At the Austin but, Stone. But, but, not, <laughs> not, not historically. <laughs> Richard, there were Christians for decades that have been... <laughs> Dang, I didn't know you were a legend like on the Enneagram. I knew CrossFit, but I wouldn't have guessed the Enneagram. I mean, so, other other guys wouldn't want to admit that, but Greg was first. Well, it's a typical three to where I'm like, go all in with something and then I'm done. Like, I'm, everybody's like, hey, this Enneagram thing. I'm like, yeah, I read like 12 books last year on that. We're, yeah. we're, past, we're past that now. Yeah, on to something new. So I'm... <laughs> yeah, eventually we just need to have a podcast on the Enneagram. People yes. have brought it up so oh. many times on And the it has like, like flooded the just the market on podcasts and books and publishing. Absolutely. One, one of my so. favorite things is watching someone talk about Enneagram who's read like one or two books. They're next right now on And it. watching Greg's face, who I know has read more books than them. Yeah. And he's so annoyed because like, he, I, I can see his head just looking and going, you're using it wrong. You're using this incorrectly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it it's, it's not a personality test. It's all, so I, we, we need to do that one time. When he has you come it. on. I think it'd be yeah. great. Yes, that'd be great. Just riff about it. That's just exactly. riff on Enneagram. <laughs> Especially me. I'm a, I'm, you don't even like it. I'm a skeptic. Yeah, you don't like it. I'm a skeptic. I, I usually say that if the Enneagram is true, then my friends have said, <laughs> yes. like my boss has said, uh, awesome. people I supervise have said that I am this, if, if it's true. I like it, if the Enneagram <laughs> is true. That's good. But anyways, um, Greg, so we know you're super well-read. We know you're a good CrossFitter, and you uh, have read a ton of books on the Enneagram. I didn't know there were that many uh, on lot. that. 
Oh, yeah. I, I'm super surprised. But um, for those who don't know who you are and, you know, what your role is at the stone, we would love for you to tell us a little bit yeah. about yourself. Uh, so eight years ago, almost eight years. It's flying, is that crazy? flying yeah. by. Yeah, we know each other for eight years almost. So, mm. um, so I I came here in 2013 uh, to start the North Congregate North Campus. Then mm. uh, now the congregation. <laughs> it's a campus is a building, congregation is a people. So, uh, Cameron launched that. Some, so somewhere Kevin Peck's got angel wings. That's right. <laughs> it, they, he got his wings. So I did that uh, sort of, um, and then so about so about seven years leading that congregation. Um, and then uh, this past year in January, so I switched to our ASI team. Mm -hmm. um, so I just went to Kevin um, about a year ago and just said, man, I love what I'm doing here. I love everything about this, you know, this, this calling, this role. Uh, but if I had my, if I had my dream job, if we're just whiteboarding this thing up, here's what I would do. You know, I would mm -hmm. write, teach, research, produce content in some form and just kind of yeah. left it at that. And we talked for about six or eight months on that. And then when COVID hit, kind of gave us a chance to sort of trial run some of that. Just everything went online. Everyone just like, Hey, I know your job was this. Now it's this, you get these kind of three buckets of, you know, yeah. it's either care, grow and Sundays yeah. is kind of what we're doing right now. So I was on the, the grow team, which is on focus on content class all our online stuff and all that. So, uh, so Kevin just said, Hey, I want, uh, two classes and two papers, two position papers, and then two classes that you write from scratch and then you teach it. And this was kind of our trial run of can, can Greg do this? Does Greg want to do this? Does ASI want Greg to do this, you know, <laughs> for them? Um, and does our church need this? And so that, yeah. that became kind of my, my, my move into my role now, which is equipping pastor, which is kind of a big, which means I'm available now to teach whenever mm -hmm. you need me for ASDP or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I'm mainly working, uh, working on just content creation, mm -hmm. writing classes, um, we're doing a thing now called intensives, which is this really kind of a third way between our normal classes that we would offer on a Sunday or, mm -hmm. you know, weekday, and then ASTP, which is our broader theological program. So something in the middle of that to where it's much deeper into one topic, um, but it's not 37 weeks or yeah. whatever, you know, so we're trying to kind of bridge, bridge <laughs> yeah. the gap of those things. So, that's awesome. uh, and there's some still some, I think, evolving on my role of how this will look in, you know, I'll still preach some, I'll still teach a good bit and then focus on, on writing. So, and yeah. the podcast with you guys. So yeah, yeah. Let's keep yeah that's so awesome. Wait, we had so much, I, I guess we saw so much fruit from the grow classes from our end, uh, my end as a college director, we had tons of students sign up for those classes. I remember um, uh, a couple of guys I disciple went through the spiritual disciplines class oh, with yeah. you and were just raving about it. Um, man, what, uh, from y'all's perspective on a grow team, mm -hmm. uh, did God do through the pandemic and like having those classes, what did y'all see as far as like, I mean, people going we all to? learned how to use Zoom, which was great. That's true. That was finally new. We need yeah, a like, equipment use, class just for use that. Use mute and not use mute and, and all that. So I think, I mean, I think, I think just from a numeric standpoint, we had tons of people just, we had, I mean, a couple thousand sign up for classes, which yeah. was pretty phenomenal in that, in that year. Um, then we had a chance to pilot some, you know, some new content, some things that I wrote, some things that John, uh, John Merkson wrote, mm -hmm. uh, and, and some others. And so I think we saw just that there was an appetite for online, you know, content, uh, that was, you know, just this kind of four or five week, you know, on ramp, off ramp kind of stuff. 
Um, and so we're going to continue to explore just how we how we do that. I think we also saw that yes, this is this is medicine, not food for us. So yeah. we're you know we're going to do this now, but we're trying to get back to in person yeah. as soon as we can. But I think for us, it was just let's do something and get content out there for our mm -hmm. people who are on Zoom all the time anyway. Um, and just figure out how can we, how can we disciple, how can we, you know, up, uphold sound doctrine through mm -hmm. the midst of all this. And then what topics are relevant for right now? I mean, is, yeah. is prayer, discipline, those kind of things. Suffering was yeah. a big one that we, that mm -hmm. we did, you know, so. So I think just the the interest with it and then just kind of the impact that that had on our people of just wanting to come back for more and more mm -hmm. of that and seeing how it affects us, you know, kind of long term. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think I think it was a win. I mean, it was mm -hmm. like we're doing something during. Yeah, man, you know, during it was this in, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your hard work on that. Um, I know everybody at the change teams, like oh, when yeah. it came to the pandemic. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just super grateful for all that you've done for our church and Thanks, your new position. I'm super excited for it. And since you've uh, read a lot of books and you're going to be writing a lot of papers, that's why we had you on for this one. This topic is so hard. Um, I think specifically for me, it's hard because of how many college students I walk alongside. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one of the reasons why I absolutely love my job is because um, we have we have students who are really wrestling wrestling with things about their faith um, that they wouldn't be wrestling with if they weren't a college student in Austin, Texas. Uh, so some people wrestle with certain topics like later on in life or when, you know, maybe like a mom or dad passes mm -hmm. away. But like our college students here, especially in this progressive land landscape of Austin, Texas, like they're seeing things in the Bible and they're like, like wrestling with it yeah. because it's so like counterculture to mm -hmm. uh, the city and uh, the culture that we live in. So uh, today we're talking about this topic of hell. Uh, and, you know, depending on like who you are, what spiritual background you come from, if you're listening to this, like you may have just cringed. Um, but uh, hell is definitely one of the most talked about topics or one of the most asked questions that college students um, bring to me. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, I'm thinking about um, early on in a pandemic, uh, we had a college student actually lose uh, their grandmother to uh coronavirus. Um, and as they were talking to me about it, they uh, were just in tears as they started to say, I, I don't know if she was a Christian. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she like ever accepted Jesus and even them wrestling with like, I yeah. tried to share the gospel with her. Like I prayed for her, but like, I just don't know yeah. um, if she accepted Jesus. Um, and so the question that I got from that student um, and the questions that I get from so many others can be summed up in this way. If God is love, I mean, that's what we read in the Bible. How could a loving God send people to hell? Mm -hmm. So how would you answer yeah. that, Greg? Uh, let me ask, can I ask a question before that? I, I will answer that. Obviously, was what we're doing here. So <laughs> in terms of like the rank of, I mean, I mean, sexuality, gender, race, the, the, that's kind of like front page news right now mm -hmm. in, you know, in the world, especially in you know, in 20 somethings, college students, where, where does this question rank in your, in your mind in terms of, if you had to say yeah. most, you know, whenever you send me the podcast, like the, the email, I was like, oh, is that, 
are people asking that yeah. question? Is that still one that yeah. people, is it response to our, you know, to sermons on this every once in a while? Mm. Or is this like a, someone just approaches you out of nowhere and says, I'm wrestling with this, with this. Yeah, doctrine. that's, that's such a good question. I started to tell you real. No, the, the, no, the flow, this is but, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it helps people know that we don't script this thing out. <laughs> um, so hell is the one that everyone has to wrestle with at some point. Yeah. Like you can choose whether or not you want to think about like race, gender, sexuality, those different things. But like when it comes to being a Christian and thinking about what it means to be saved and not be saved, like mm -hmm. everyone has to think about this. So it's kind of an inevitable question that people from both sides yeah. like will bring to me. And yeah. Tyler, I'm sure so yeah. many people have hit you up about this as well. What would you what would you say yeah, uh, I, about how this ranks or how this fits I, in? Well, so I think. I think it's unique to when you're coming of age and, as a Christian mm -hmm. and when you're really wrestling with topics. You know, as you get older, you calcify in some ways. You get used to things you've always heard and believe. That's why college students are unique because they're in a, a season of study. Mm -hmm. Their whole nature mm -hmm. of their life, yeah. whether they're studying or not, is a different conversation. <laughs> but they're supposed to be studying. That's right. And it, it's a exploring different thoughts. And if you're going to read any sort of uh, person who is deconstructing Christianity— yeah you're always going to get to the topic of hell. So I, I think most people don't wrestle with it in a proactive sense. Mm -hmm. I think it's reactive when suffering happens. It's reactive when yep. someone dies who wasn't so a what believer. So what do you think is the, what is the most common posture that college students, 20-year-olds 20, 20 would have? Just if you're just anecdotally saying, here's the here's the response I most often hear, not, not so much the questions, but just the, here's what I believe about hell. Is I, it just, I don't know? Is it? I like, think it, it would be, I don't like the answer that I'm, that I'm given. Mm. That that's what I would say the actual answer of most people is. I totally right? agree. Is it's I think I know the right Bible answer. I just don't like it. I don't like it, and I maybe kind of hate it. Yeah. I think you're gonna have extremes of people who are actually they're, they're the conservative trope of the people who are out there just like just preaching hell. Yeah. I don't. I've never met one of those people in my life. Yeah. I, they, they're on Except they're, on campus. There's, 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 always, there's always one or two guys. <laughs> that's right. There's always one or two guys. That's who what show I grew up, up in. So maybe yeah. we can get to that here in a bit. But, yeah. so but I, there's always one or two guys show up and they preach the crazy stuff and people mm -hmm. just ignore them. Yeah. But for the most part, it's people in the middle who are like, mm -hmm. I think I know what the Bible says. I don't like it. Yeah. Or on the <clears> other <throat> side of it is there's no way that's true. Yeah. There's just no way that's true. But it's not because they've done a lot of biblical study and it's not because they've done a lot of really intensive thought about mm -hmm. what is the cross mean? Well, yeah. what, what, is, what does justice mean if there is yeah. no hell? Oh, they haven't thought through that. It yeah. just is, it's an easy cop-out, I think, to go, and we'll get to this in the scriptures, once God's judgment is gone, then there's no reason to obey mm -hmm. him. Yeah, and I, I think you... So, so many of us in America like are spiritualized to one point or another, and what I mean by that is when I teach baptism class, like like I tell like our participants that like you can walk up to people on the street and ask them like, have you been to a church service or have you been baptized? Mm -hmm. And like, like a lot of times like they, they have been yeah. uh, to either church service or been baptized when they were a baby or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so everyone has these religious experiences. Uh, so when we think about the idea of hell, like everyone already has kind of their idea of what should happen yeah. to uh, people who are good and people who are bad. And it's mm -hmm. just us, trying to wrestle with like, man, like, like what does the ultimate authority like mm -hmm. have to say about this? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, especially when we think about, you know, like even things like gender and sexuality and race, like 
what about the people on the other side? Mm -hmm. Like the people that we don't like, um, the people uh, that are living a lifestyle that uh, scripture um, condemns, like, like what will happen to those people? Mm -hmm. You know, if God is good, like what, like is going to happen to them and like their eternal life. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the, going back to your original question, I think, I mean, there's always that, you know, that sense of just kind of critiquing the question itself a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, how can a loving God send people to hell? Mm -hmm. And I mean, and I'm not trying to be, you know, nitpicky, but God doesn't send people, God sends the wicked to hell. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just, just knowing that it's though it's those who have rebelled against God, who have resisted his, you know, have seen his glory in, you know, the Romans one sense in, in the heavens and have resisted that they are now without excuse is what Romans Romans one says, and this is this is a colder way of, of answering. Obviously, when someone's coming from a funeral, you don't just start. Well, it's the wicked, by the way. It's yeah. not. I, I get that, but just mm -hmm. helping them clarify. Oh, the, no one's morally neutral. Yeah. God's not just randomly picking people, you know, who are morally neutral and saying mm -hmm. this is, you know, there's they're in hell because they have they have earned that. That's what their sin has merited. Yeah. Uh, and so God is is handing them over is what the biblical language often, you know, often is. God's casting them into, you know, in, into judgment. And so mm -hmm. then the loving piece is always interesting to me because you know, there's, you know, the first John for God, you know, God is love, mm -hmm. but it's letting God define what love is. I mean, we have that sense in which how can, if I love someone, I would never do this, you know, toward them. Jesus was the most loving human in history, and he talked about hell more than anybody in history. Mm -hmm. And so it can't be, what whatever God's purpose is in, in hell, it cannot be that God's not loving or that God somehow is retracting his love in that moment. There's something still that, that God is doing this for his own glory. Uh, it is right for God to do this. And then there's always that, you know, I think you have to eventually say the, the, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. This is, mm -hmm. this is God doing what is right, whether or not we, we think it's right. We're letting God define what is what is right in His final His final judgment. Yeah. Um, so I think those are, and I think there's always that you know that need to clarify to kind of clear the table of the misconceptions of of hell. Everything from an angry God kind of writhing His hands uh, of can't wait to cast someone into hell, all the way to you know Satan like having a bed and breakfast with Dwight Schrute in like you know all all yeah, of the right, right, you know right, all right. those kind of misconceptions of what of what hell is. Yeah. Um, and getting down to the text and letting letting the text speak about this because the Bible says a lot about this. The details they I mean it, it doesn't go into exact details on every single little thing. Mm. Uh, so we have to do some some good theology to kind of come along you know you know around that and figure out how do we formulate our ideas of, about this. And even around that so, question, that, that's a great point, Greg of of pointing out, well, it depends on which attribute of God you you put in front of him, yeah. right? So how can a loving God, right? Yeah. But then I wonder if if you ask, again, this is an intellectual exercise, but if you, I don't think you would ha have the same result if you said, would a just God mm -hmm. send people to hell? Yeah. Because then you're like, well, it's a whole different category. Yeah. And I'm thinking about God in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then too, even when you're saying people, what do I mean? Like you said, what do I mean by people? Because yeah. in that statement is a, they're inherently good and don't deserve it. Yeah. That, that, that's what assumed is assumed mm -hmm. in that statement. And so I, I think that's what's important for people as are wrestling with this question is to be sincere if you really want to have the conversation. Yeah. Because if you're angry and you're mad at the situation, this is where any of the people on the, who are listening who are helping people process this, if someone is angry and mad about losing somebody, 
there's no amount of intellectual exercise mm -hmm. that's gonna kind of penetrate those moments. But also for people who are asking this question, if you're sincere in it, then you have to be sincere about, well, what are the the beliefs about people mm -hmm. and about God you're bringing into this conversation? Yeah. If you're not willing to just say out loud what it is, then I, it's hard to have a conversation mm -hmm. and to learn. Yeah. If, if, you're, if you're just going to know, this is my question, answer my question. Well, I, I do, but what do you mean by people? What yeah. do you mean by God? Yeah. Because if, you, it, if, if love is the emphasis, but without justice, which we'll mm -hmm. get into in a second, because I find it really fascinating that we have never been more concerned, and rightly so, about justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm th think about just the nature of the church and the conversation. It's a great thing that's happening in yeah. some ways, but fasc what's fascinating is we don't want to extrapolate that, that and go to the source of like, well, where does, when it comes to justice around gender or race or sexuality, mm -hmm. why is it that we'll, put, we'll be fine with justice in those circles, but not when it comes to God and more eternal matters. Yep. It's really fascinating just that the, the, the human sort of, and it kind of in some ways exposes humanity to say, as long as we're the ones deciding, then mm -hmm. we're okay with justice and punishment. Yep. If someone else is deciding, that's mm -hmm. when I have an issue, mm -hmm. and especially God. So I think for, for Christians in this conversation, it's important that you recognize the things you're importing into this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I think Tim Keller has been, you know, incredibly helpful for so many of us, just the, the phrase of doubting your doubts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like learning how to put your doubts on trial and not just assuming, because in that question are a ton of doubts about God, a ton mm -hmm. of doubts about people. Um, and there's no way forward if you can't be honest about the things you're believing and just say, is my worldview able to stand mm -hmm. up? better than the worldview the Bible offers. Yeah. And I think again and again and again, when I struggle with doubts, and even this question, like when people in my life who have passed away who weren't believers and, have to, and who I love deeply, that is when this doctrine really, I, I guess in my experience, comes yeah. to the forefront. Yeah. It really comes to the forefront when it's someone I love, someone who was, and that's I love, they were good to me. Mm -hmm. They were kind to me. They didn't hurt me. They didn't wound me. They were good to me. And they still passed away without believing. Mm -hmm. And that's where this doctrine gets really difficult. Because then you have to go, it's one thing with someone I know who I believe to be, in my economy, evil. Mm -hmm. It's hard when I'm like, but they were like people that I loved yeah. who were good to me, yeah. you know? I think too, I mean, thinking about, re remembering the the cross in in this, the you know, the, the gospel in this, that this is this is what Jesus took for us in a sense, that he, he came to rescue us from the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And so this, again, going back to the loving God thing, that God has given us a way uh, and so, you know, the idea of God not being loving, why would he send his son to rescue us from this, to provide that Jesus has gone through all of that to show. So so heaven must be that good and hell must be that bad for Jesus to go through mm -hmm. what he's gone through for us yeah. To, yeah. to rescue us. And so I think yeah. I think keeping keeping the cross, keeping the atonement, keeping the saving death and resurrection of Jesus in mind with this, it has to be kind of the backdrop of, of this whole conversation. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you just kind of get into philosophy, you get into yeah. lots yeah. of emotions, lots of, um, you know, just kind of internal wrestlings and not with, oh, this is, Jesus took the wrath of God for us. He, mm -hmm. the imagery is that he drank this for us. He finished the cup of God's wrath for us. And so I think keeping that in, in the whole, how could a loving God, well, how could a loving God send his son? And, and if he, you know, didn't spare him, how will he withhold anything good from us, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. So I think yeah. that, that kind of frames the conversation, I think a little bit for me, you know, with this and, yeah. But yeah. it doesn't make it any easier by by right. any means. That's why Christians have just wrestled with this for yeah. you know for centuries and had dif differing views on this, which we may, you know, get into a bit. But 
no means by no means does it make it any easier. It just gives right. some there. There are really good thoughts. I think we can think behind this and about this. Yeah, uh, I think that's forward. a really good foundation to kind of start this conversation with. Um, because our experiences really form us mm -hmm. before we like, especially before we're, we become a Christian, yeah. like, mm -hmm. and we like try to figure out what the Bible says about anything. Um, I mean, I learned about hell when I was really young, mm -hmm. um, going to church with my mom and grandma and I would hear about, uh, hell being preached um, not from the stage, like for the most part, but really talked about, um, like in the home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, from family members saying like, Hey, you don't want to be like a bad person, uh, because if you're a bad person, you go to hell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my first theology was really like kind of growing up, like wanting to be a good kid. So I didn't go to that place mm -hmm. called hell. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure this has impacted, I know this impacts yeah. salvation experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this impacts trajectories and people's like sense of uh, moral um, goodness or uh, badness. Um, so I would love to hear from y'all, like how young were you when you first learned about hell? And like, what have you struggled about like when it comes to the concept of hell? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you sent me the question. I thought, man, I, I don't know the first time I thought about it, like in a, you just sat down, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's there's a place. It was just, I grew up in deep South Mississippi. And so it's it's conservative, it's Baptist, it's hellfire brimstone preaching. It's, that's just the air that we, that we mm -hmm. breathe. And so there was no concept of the idea of universalism. Like that's not even a thing that someone would ever, <laughs> ever yeah, talk right. about. Or right. no, there's a heaven, there's a hell, you're going to one or the other. And then there's these, uh, I remember in, in my youth group, uh, there were these things, I guess they still happen. I've not seen them in years. They're called judgment houses. They're hmm. like a they're like a Christian a Christian oh, haunted yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so I've basically, heard, I've, never been, I've heard of them. They though. were depending on your budget size of your of your church, <laughs> but basically, it's like a you walk through these different scenes in like the church is all decorated and there's all these you know it's bifurcated mm -hmm. in different rooms and you walk through and there's like this you know story of some kid who's rebelling who like yeah. won't listen in youth group and who starts smoking and drinking and there's a car wreck in the next scene and there's a there's an ambulance there there's lie. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, if you're 13 yeah. years old, it's dramatic. Mm, yeah. Uh, the next room, like these demons, like drag him to the, hell. Yes. Um, yes. and there's a hell room and it's really Did hot you go in to there. One of these? Oh my goodness. Yes. We went to them all the time. Every year we, our church had them. <laughs> I was a kid. And then, yeah. And then there was like, you know, there's a heaven scene where it's much, the ACs are like really high in there are really low in there and it's really cool. <laughs> and there's the youth pastors like Jesus. And there's, I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm making it, you know, sound kind of comical, but it really is this, dramatic, you know, just kind of de depiction of, of heaven and hell. And I had friends mm -hmm. who got saved in that and still walk with the Lord now, which just mm -hmm. shows how sovereign God is over <laughs> salvation <laughs> and all of our, you know, ministry efforts. But yeah. um, so I remember just that, just being so ingrained in in the culture, just you're you're going to heaven or hell. Mm -hmm. You have to decide what you're going, that, that kind of, you know, presentation. So, so I don't know if there was a time when I began to think about who God was and what it meant to know him, that, that hell wasn't in, I don't think I became a Christian because of because of that. Mm -hmm. I think I I was drawn to the the beauty of Jesus, the life that Jesus offers, not so much the escaping hell, but it certainly was yeah. 
part of the celebration that you're going yeah. to heaven now, you're heaven bound kind of mm. thing, and you're not going the other direction, you know? So, yeah. so for me, it's, I mean, that was, I don't know, 11, 12, somewhere, somewhere in there and mm -hmm. being terrified at judgment houses and yeah. all that. So it was, it was Scared early straight. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, that's the language. I, I, I cannot top that story. I don't, I don't, I'm like, do I even share my silly, like very small? I mean, basically the, in the, in the in and around the church traditions I grew up in and around Dallas, it was more seeker sensitive, right? So they're they're not going to bring up hell at mm. all. It's going to be very subtle. Yeah, it's going to be very like maybe never really mm. mentioned. And so when I was six, I remember praying to receive Jesus because they basically were like, "You don't want to go to hell, do you?" And I was yeah. like, "No." Mm -hmm. So I wasn't a Christian. I just was. Yeah. I'll say whatever. And I, I think ice cream came with with praying the prayer to Jesus. Well, I, so right. I, was, mm -hmm. I was like, no hell and ice cream. And ice cream. I'm, I'm in. in. I'm all know? in. Um, that's still the, still the case, by the way. <laughs> um, but I think it became a philosophical question for me in college. Like like a real, it became a, a, a really difficult thing for, for me to grasp as you get outside your experiences, you get to know other people's life stories, mm -hmm. um, and it becomes way more complex and people are mm -hmm. not nearly as one note as you Maybe you are when you're just younger. Like yeah. you're, you're, you're. It's hard for a twelve-year-old to be incredibly complex, um, but you start getting in different people's experiences and stories. Like, oh, these, this person's. I don't know how to make sense of them now. Mm -hmm. So it was a really difficult philosophical question for me in college that I wrestled with honestly a lot. I read a lot of apologists to help me make sense of it because I, I had this. I mean, when our college students wrestled with that, I mean, I went to Texas State. I'm, I was kind of. I'm in the same sort of. I grew up as an adult in the same sort of context that all of our college students grow up in. And so it was a really hard thing to wrap my head around. And then I think it became more personal as like grandparents who I love deeply began to pass away. And particularly my grandfather who I loved, loved, loved. And we'd always have like, he, he was a real smart guy. He'd always like talk to us. I remember he, he gave me a tape on, uh, on black holes and I would just listen to like, it was like our, like we love talking about science mm -hmm. together. And, when he passed away, he was in like a very adamant atheist agnostic and we would have conversations about faith and he would be, I mean, he even told us before he passed away, do not think that I'm going to believe in God before I die. Mm. Like he wanted us to know that yeah, it's not a man. thing for him. And I think that was really difficult for me mm. um, to have to wrestle with what does that mean for him? Because, because it wasn't like, you know, for so many people who are, in and around faith, mm -hmm. you're like, I don't know, maybe you, you kind of go, maybe. Yeah. But, and, he, and my other grandfather passed away. He's like, maybe. But with that, my my dad's dad, it was very like he wanted us to know. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where it becomes more personal is we have to deal with what does that mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's tough. And it makes it hard. And I think that's where most people come from in, in this process is most of our philosophical sort of questions tend to come from personal sufferings mm -hmm. and experiences. Yeah. Because there's always philosophical questions that you have that you're able to kind of go, why am I able on that philosophical question, able to have basically a non-answer and be okay? Because mm -hmm. I probably haven't had a personal experience that forces me, yeah. I actually need an answer. Not just I'd want an answer, but I need an answer. And that's where that made me have to need an answer uh, to where I was at. Um, it took a philosophical question and made it personal. So that... Mm. I feel I feel more steady in it. I do always. I mean, for me, it's hell has been less of a thing for my my own doubts and more of suffering in the world generally mm -hmm. has always been for whatever reason for me the place where my faith what has been most shaken. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess hell in so many ways is the some ways the culmination of where suffering mm -hmm. and where it is headed mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's my experience with it. Yeah, and hearing y'all stories and even knowing a bit of mine and. 
lot of people who are listening to this that I know, like, I know all of our stories have something um, to do. Like, at, at some point, we intersect with the story of when we were young yep. and yep. somebody told us, like, you know, you accept Jesus because you don't want to go to hell. Mm -hmm. What are the dangers of, like, having that type of worldview or biblical worldview of what hell is? Yeah. In the sense of this as a gospel presentation, like this is the reason to... Yeah, or to... or someone not just growing up, um, understanding like, okay, this is... Or, yeah, basically uh, me growing mm -hmm. up thinking that like the reason why like I'm a Christian is because I'm scared to go to hell. Yeah. Like that being yeah. the basis sure. of like yeah. my worldview. I, I don't think that it shouldn't be mentioned. Like if you're talking to someone who's not a Christian and they're wrestling with this, um, I mean, Paul does this when it comes to, and it's more language of judge, the coming judgment or, you know, Jesus who saves us from the coming wrath, like that kind of. So it's certainly there. I mean, you see it in, I mean, Paul's preaching. It's not mm. every, it doesn't begin every, you know, everything Paul says about this, but it's certainly part of the gospel that that he's coming again. So it's death, resurrection, and you know, ascension and return. And that return implies that there's going to be rewards, there's going to be punishment, there's going to be judgment, there's going to be full redemption. And so there is a level to which you can't present the the all of the gospel without mm -hmm. a judgment, without judgment language in there somewhere. Now, I don't think it's the, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Choose Jesus kind of thing. I mean, the, the message, you know, especially John, the message is that, you know, you won't perish, but you have eternal life. There's mm -hmm. always that that duel of the life that he offers there's also what he rescues us from. So it's kind of like, the, you know, A is the life he offers, B is the, what you, what he's saving us from. So That's I don't cool. know how to discuss the gospel without at some level bringing that, bringing that in. Um, though clearly you want the, you know, we're lifting up the beauty of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the the, the cross, all he's done. That, that begs the question though, what is he saving us right. from? What is he, mm, what is he doing really all of that for? Uh, there, there certainly is the joy in this life. There certainly is the, you know, the, the, the meaning and purpose language that we could use, the experience of God, the longing, all of that. Still, though, there is the, the wrath that he takes for us that should have been ours, but instead was, was his. Um, so I don't think we can, we can subtract that from just normal gospel, you know, conversations. Yeah. So, but I do think there's a way to present it to where it's only heaven or hell uh, as if there was nothing in this life that Jesus mm. rescues us from and for. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah. you know, well, and, entailed. And so I think the obvious answer to your question is, yeah, it would warp someone's understanding of all they had a sense of was just be safe from hell, yeah. right? Mm. But in our context, I think that can often be a trope used to help us not talk about hell in the ways that we probably should. I think what happens is we look for extreme versions of things to mm -hmm. justify our uncomfortability with things. Mm -hmm. And so I think most people, like in our, people I talk to in our church, I have had to find maybe more than a handful over the last 12 years of anyone who I think is too obsessed with hell. Mm -hmm. I think most people have no real knowledge or want to mm -hmm. talk about it at all and I think, for, and that makes the cross weak because you don't yeah. know what Jesus, and this, this is where yeah. hell is one of those things where 
it is essential to the mm. nature of what the cross is. And then if you lose what judgment is, and this is interesting enough, is, is in Genesis, the first thing Satan questions is the judgment of God. Of all the first things he mm. could question, he questions, you won't really die, won't really will die. you? Yep. Mm. The first thing he questions is not God's love, it's God's judgment. Yeah. The first thing he questions is, is not does God love you, is, is God's word have any sort of consequence to it if you don't mm. obey it? And what you see, this, the same thing being here is, is there any consequence if I don't trust Jesus? Is yeah. there any consequence? And because it tells you, because in so many ways, it tells you is how valuable and precious is the blood of Jesus? What, what mm -hmm. was he doing? And so I, I think for, for us in this conversation, for people who have become Christians, you can obsess over it, but I think that's, it seems to me, I'll just say from my personal experience, that seems like days gone by. I, I don't know that that's what most people... Now, maybe in their heart of hearts, there's fear there, maybe mm -hmm. in their heart of hearts. But as far as like actual conversations being had, yeah. mm -hmm. I think most of the time it's not, hell is so real, I'm afraid. Most of the time is, is hell real? Mm -hmm. Is this even a thing that I should be concerned yeah. about? And again, it shows the, the, the dichotomy of, and yet we're obsessed with justice in the yeah. conversation. And so it's this really weird thing yeah, about hell has never been more questioned probably in, in, in my ministry and people in the life that I talk to. Mm -hmm. But at the same time too, justice has never been more of a topic of conversation. Yeah. So I find it really interesting that we don't mm -hmm. like it, mm -hmm. though we're we though the basis for justice now is justice later. I mean that that's yeah. a, that's what Martin Luther King Jr. is doing. He's like justice it's is coming. coming. That's, right. that's why you fight for justice yep. now. It, it makes your your strivings for justice even when it doesn't work. Yeah. It tells you it's not in vain because he says the arc of the universe is towards justice end, yep. because God is going to bring it eventually. Um, so I think that that's where it becomes. You don't realize how foundational it is because it's. Because again, the gospel presentation is Jesus dies, so you don't have to. Mm -hmm. So you emphasize rightly so that, but you lose a lot of substance and weight and sort of the the, the gravitas of what the gospel yeah. is uh, when you don't have any knowledge of it. Let, let me ask. Well, you're the you're the you're the host, so I'm, I want to ask a question though. Just so uh, uh. you, there could be a case made for the, the doctrine of hell being more of a sanctification for Christians than a a salvation presentation for non-Christians, mm. though though I would never separate those two things that that yeah. distinctly. But you can make a case for, I mean, what Jesus says in, uh, you know, in Matthew 10, you know, don't fear those who can kill a body, rather fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. Mm. Fear him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so stand firm in suffering yeah. um, is what that, that context, you know, that that is. And so then you have just, you know, Paul will just tag on things here about, you know, Jesus, uh, the wrath to come, how he's rescuing us from this. Uh, the author of Hebrews, there's, you know, there's this holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There's, you have that kind of judgment, make your calling and election certain. Um, what does Second Peter say uh, about you know the uh, Christ's second coming, and then what sort of lives ought you ought to live mm -hmm. in holiness and yeah. sanctification? You know, so I think there's a, a good case to that this can be for Christians a kind of smelling salts kind mm -hmm. of doctrine to go, yeah. oh, it's not only that there it's, but it may awaken me to the the glory and beauty of of Jesus and what it means to know Him with this kind of checks and balances of there's coming a judgment i need to be i need to walk in assurance yeah. that that i'm you know pursuing holiness that i'm you know fighting again i mean even the whole matthew 5 with lust mm -hmm. i mean that that whole conversation um so i think there's a sanctifying element of this that that needs to be kept in yeah. you know in so, the conversation so, the, so I, I have two thoughts to say that so i think one do is do you agree with that i mean is that i know i think it's i yes yes somewhat i think 
Yes, and that I think the reason Jesus talks about hell more than most is because he's showing Israel's had the word of God come to them yep. so often, so often, so yep. often. And so when people, it's usually used for people who keep ignoring mm-hmm. the word of God, right? And so Israel's been this example of, they're the prime example of what people are like without God's spirit in them, yeah. right? They they hear the word of God over and over again and continue to reject it. Mm-hmm. That's why he brings up judgment so much. But also too, I've, I've actually been reading, I'm, I need to give your book back, but I've been reading uh, Paul's biography. I'm Teller's library, by That's the way. A, so. Oh, <laughs> Greg's library is unbelievable. I just check things out and never return them. Never, never um, returns. He's like late on everything. <laughs> it's like right. But I've been reading this uh, the biography of Paul, and it's fascinating that when he goes to Athens, these people have no concept of yeah. a Jewish worldview or what is a Persian and Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. The thing he says about Jesus is that he's raised from the dead and is going to judge the world. Yeah, yeah. He's the appointed judge of the world. And so there, there is something about like to people who are non-believers, mm-hmm. is Jesus of any consequence? Yeah, yeah. And so I think there, I think you're right. I think there, it does function as smelling salts to people who have had the word of God given to them again and again and again, have mm-hmm. continued to reject it. Yeah. There's something about it. It's usually not, I don't think it would be the first thing you use, sure. but definitely in the covenant in the old Testament, it's always like blessing yeah. and punishment. Anchor, yeah. It's always the, the God's word is always comes with immense mm-hmm. blessings and immense punishment. Yeah. And in the same way, but for people who were brand new, there is a, I think the street preachers who come to UT mm-hmm. or any campus mm-hmm. who do crazy stuff, all they can see is I need to show why he's consequential. So let me yeah. talk about hell all the time. Yeah. Whereas I would, I, I'm with you, as I think most gospel presentations in the New Testament are look at the, the blessings that he the gives life, and yeah. the life that he gives and the love that he gives. But they're not wrong in that there's real consequence. Mm-hmm. But I do think it makes us feel uncomfortable. One, for really good godly reasons, we want Jesus to be represented as beautiful and kind and loving like he is. But also, too, I do think there is probably a deep, deep down sort of suspicion of, yeah. is he really that consequential yeah. Yeah. that to reject him has real implications? Yeah. So yeah. I'm with you. I, I think it's, I would say yes and yes uh, on that. But I I mean, if I was talking to someone who who is a non-believer, and we're having conversations about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be like, well, first things first. first let's yeah. talk about hell. Like I yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, this, I wouldn't bring that up. This that brings way. up a good question. I loved what you said about um, fearing God, mm-hmm. because that is one of the most talked about things. Like I think when it comes a, around this conversation of hell and um, damnation, like. Like we see so many scriptures about fearing God. And Greg, mm-hmm. you you brought that up. You mentioned that. Um, but from my conversations with so many people, it seems like many people have differing views on even what that means in the yeah. scriptures. What does it mean to fear God uh, mm-hmm. from what you studied in the word, Greg? Yeah. So the first place that you see it, I think, is in Exodus um, it's interesting because God commands them not to fear that they may learn to fear him because the mm-hmm. mountains like trembling is when the whole, you know, Sinai, uh, don't fear that you may learn to fear the Lord. So there's a sense in which I'm fearing other things that could harm me. Uh, and I'm, I'm neglecting and belittling the Lord and not trusting in his, his power, his goodness or, you know, whatever. So then there's just that Proverbs sense, which it's all over Proverbs of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so it certainly is not less than being afraid of God in awe of God. Um, but there is that kind of holy admiration and, and shock at how glorious God is that, that you revere him, you know, um, that he's, he's first in, in your life. He is mm-hmm. the thing that your, your gaze is fixed on him. Um, and so if, if you fear him, you have no need to fear any, anything mm-hmm. else. That's the Psalm language of 
you know, whom, whom shall I fear if I'm, my refuge is in him, there's what can man do to me kind of language. So there's always that juxtaposition of I'm, I'm not fearing what's in the world, but I'm fear because I'm fearing God It's driving out that, um, you know, the fear of the Lord, it casts out evil and that, that kind of language. So the new Testament doesn't use it as much. Um, you've got, uh, Peter says, fear God, honor the emperor, uh, Jesus, uh, brings it in some of the Gospels in uh, in Matthew with fearing God versus uh, fearing those who can kill the body. So, yeah. so I think the the short answer is it's this this admiration of God, just this awe of who God is um, that directs our life toward Him and and takes our eyes off yeah. of the fear of man, the fear of the world, the fear of money, um, those those kind of things. Now, so, how how should that inform our understanding of hell, like the fear of God? I think the, you know, the Romans 11, I mean, you know, behold the, the kindness and severity of God. Like mm. there's, we, we can't, we can't just put all of our weight on the kindness of God and, and neglect the severity of God, that there is, uh, that God is going to act. God is going to do what is right. God is going to make all things right and set all things right. Um, and he will do that and he's going to act. And so it's, it's trusting that he's going to do that. Maybe not in the time that we think he should, um, and the speed in which we think that he should, but he's going to do it. Mm. Um, and so it's trusting that it's believing that, um, especially when you're suffering, especially when you have people who are making accusations against, you knowing God is going to act and I'm going to, I'm going to trust that. Um, and so I think with hell, just knowing that, I mean, if, if hell is not real, then the gospel's not real, heaven's not real, the cross mm. is not real. There, so you can't just pick and choose what you think should be emphasized when all those things are caught up together in in, in the Bible. Yeah. And so we can't just kind of cherry pick and go, well, I, I love this idea of God, but I don't like this idea of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just that fear of, of taking God, you know, no one's more merciful, no one's more wise than than him, and thinking that we can somehow subtract these things, I think we're just in a dangerous a dangerous spot. So, um, yeah, I th- I think a maybe a way to put it, I think it's spot on. I think I may put it in some imagery for people because fear is it's hard. It's a, it's maybe just read C.S. Lewis, right? It's read it's, Aslan. You know it's coming at some point. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure Narnia is coming up at some point in time. Yes. Um, and some of it's bad theology. We can talk about that later. Um, but 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 I, I think the the fear piece is I think if you focus on the definition, but it's 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 the emotion piece, right? Like what what does it mean to fear God? I think we've all had that experience, like when you're in a tall building and you look over the edge and something in you is like, whoa, like some, mm-hmm. some, something in me takes note of yeah. that that's bigger than me, that's dangerous, yeah. I need to be, I, I, the thing I always think of is when I was like seven years old, I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, where my grandparents lived, and it's the only time I've ever been in a, in a tornado. And I remember, I remember just the the force of the winds. And I remember being in the back seat. I, I can still like vividly remember looking out the back window and seeing trees like bending halfway mm-hmm. over. And there was something about that that made I was like, I'm scared. Now, what was was I gonna get hurt? Probably not. But is the fact that I'm around a power that I'm very keen to the mm-hmm. fact that I am small. Yeah. I'm very keen to the fact there's danger here. And if I don't play by this power's rules, I will get crushed. Yeah. And and that's what I think it means to fear God is to say, mm-hmm. there's a holiness, there's a vastness. There's That's why even in Revelation, when it describes the throne, it has about like peals of thunder. It, it uses yeah. like storm language to give you, because when you're in a really, like, we all have that moment where that big thunder hits, you're yeah. like, whoo, okay, yeah. I'm 
I'm, I'm locked in, you know, like I'm going to get in the bathtub. Like you, you, you have those, <laughs> those experiences because there's something like, if I don't play by this vastness, mm -hmm. grand things rules, I don't win. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I will not overcome this. And so what that's meant to do is to say, God is meant to show us to say, I'm so holy, so grand, so mighty, so powerful, so out of your control that it should make you fear if you understand me rightly. Mm -hmm. It's when I don't fear that you've forgotten what I'm like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I feel like, oh no, if I don't play by your rules, it'll be fine. If, if, I, if I don't respect you mm -hmm. or honor you, I'll be fine. You actually have forgotten who you're talking to, who you're dealing yeah. with. And so I think it's it's good to put it in that um, in that sort of visceral experience mm -hmm. piece because I know all of us have look, look, looked over the side of the building and just gone... I I think what I would the word you would use to describe that feeling probably is fear. And I think we think fear like scary movies yeah, and all these different right. things. Like I like I should be jumpy scared around God. Yeah. Like I'm like I'm worried he could latch like like the ring. He's gonna latch on and grab my foot yeah. in a second, right? Mm -hmm. Not that kind of fear. The smallness fear that mm -hmm. that I'm I'm moldable, I'm killable, yeah. I'm I'm all the I'm vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That fear. And that's where God is meant to say, I am all that. And I'm kind, and I'm gentle, yeah. but that's what makes him really. Again, well, back to, this is actually so funny. It's worked out this way in my mind. Narnia just came up when when they're playing with Aslan, mm -hmm. and it said it, it's like it describes it in this sort of he's he's tender, but yeah. he's also this lion, and that whole sort of kind of dynamic of I can't control you, and you love me. Yeah, and I, I all of us want you love me, and I can control you, mm -hmm. or I can't control you, and you don't love me. We we really don't know what to do with yeah. I can't control you, and you love mm. me. That's where our, we're actually find our most rest there, most joy there, because you're made for all. You're made mm -hmm. for things to kind of scare you a little bit. You're yeah. made for adventure in that way. And God actually himself is the is the adventure we're made for, but he's bigger. We, we, we actually would like smaller, more tame adventures. Yeah. Yeah. His are too grand. And we're like, I'm too scared on this one. I would yeah. rather like just live my life the way I want to live it. So I think when we think about fearing God and judgment, that's where I don't want us to forsake the very doctrines that remind us that God is massive mm -hmm. and remind us mm -hmm. that he's holy because we think that'll make him less compelling. It's the opposite. Yep. It makes him more compelling because you start to understand the the extent he's going to to love you and who you get to spend eternity with. One of the things I, I, I don't know if you guys watched The, the Good Place. It's yes. it was NBC. It was basically about like, um, it's a really, it's a great, it's a good, like if you're looking for like a, if you watch The Office a hundred times, you're like, I'm looking for something different. <laughs> something different. The Good Place is, is, is a good switch up. But basically it's about them in the afterlife and and good and bad and like heaven, hell, these all these different things. Mm. But one of the things that they end up, I'm going to ruin the show. So if you're like in the middle of season two, just maybe just. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but at the end, what's fascinating, because it's, it's a Buddhist sort of philosophy, mm -hmm. is eventually even heaven gets boring. And kind of what makes what makes a life worth living is knowing that it ends. It's kind of their philosophy. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating about it is like actually heaven without a massive God will get boring over time. Yeah. It's it's God's mm -hmm. grandeur that's needed mm -hmm. to go. This is why eternity will be full and not boring. This yeah. is why God, Narnia. It's, it's, it's just in my head right now. It's all, right 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 now. It's all your man. fault. Just it's further, it, it, further it, it, in. It opened up a vault in my brain. <laughs> but further, further in, right? Yeah. It, it makes it more grand. So I, I yeah. just I want to implore people. Don't think, do not think you're helping people by making God less wild. Yeah. yeah. By making God a little more tame. You're mm -hmm. not. You're actually making him not compelling. You're making yeah. him too small for our hearts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, so good. good. Um, yeah. Now I'm never going to watch that show, but it's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> now you know. Uh, no, it sounds sounds like. But I do think that, that that concept of heaven of just being bored in heaven. Yeah. I've, I've heard that language. Yeah. Totally. What are we going to do forever? Like. If 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 God is not 
Yeah. If God is not that great, then, you and, know. And that's why that's, it, 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 it was so compelling to me to go, they're showing you that heaven will be boring if God's not yeah. there. Yeah, you, you, you could have every gift in the world. Eventually, you're like, how many more parties can we have? Yeah. Yep. How, how many more conversations yep. can I have? And you're like, of course, heaven yep. will not be heaven without God. Yep. That's so good. Um, y'all, man, there are so many, so many roads I just want to go down. <laughs> all Narnia. Um, be here all day. All Narnia yeah. quotes. Just, just read it. Just read um, the last battle and we're good. Yeah, there are literally so many roads podcast I want to go down. Uh, Tyler's done. Yeah, podcast. We'll become a C.S. Lewis podcast <laughs> yeah, at that point. Right. Um, yeah, Tyler knows, like, there. I will write down questions that I think I want to ask. Then oh, I will yeah. ask those questions and just come up with uh, my own on the spot. But I'm, I'm going to try to kind of go down one path. But, um, Greg, as as being like a pastor of equipping, theology, all these different things that kind of <laughs> encompass your role with ASI. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about these differing views of hell. So you okay. talked a little bit, you mentioned universalism, and I'm mm -hmm. not sure if maybe um, everyone who's listening to our podcast knows about what universalism is, but I'd love to hear from you, like, are, are there differing views of hell? Because it sounds like there mm -hmm. are, and like, what are those views? And yeah. then... Um, the, the reason why I want to add this question on top of it is because I know there's primary doctrines, mm -hmm. secondary doctrines, tertiary doctrines. They're closed handed things like in the faith, like, yeah. um, and maybe this concept of hell is one of them. So I'd love to hear yeah. your, your feedback on that. But then like second handed things or third handed things like. Where does our view of hell, like mm -hmm. if it's different than maybe yeah, um, the majority good. view, where does that fit? Sure. Yeah, so you've got, I mean, for the, for the most part, I mean, church history has, you know, the traditional view is called that for a reason like that. This has been, though you've got some early uh, church fathers who are, you know, kind of going off the rails, Origen and uh, a guy named Gregory of Nyssa who thought the cross could even redeem the devil like that. You got strange views like that kind of pop up, um, but you have the the traditional view, which would be that that God God sends the wicked uh, to a place called called hell, uh, that it's eternal separation, unending experience of uh, of, of punishment. Mm -hmm. um, Greg, can I pause real yep. quick? Just one thing, I, I just want to say because you keep saying, and I and I know what you mean, but I want to make explicit for for everybody: wicked are people who don't trust in Jesus. Yeah, who, so, just, yeah. so let's, I, just, I don't want them to associate yeah. with behavior. Sure, yeah, yeah. And just say yeah. wicked those means who those who have, God. Who have, and, yeah, yeah, just this, to be clear, because I, I don't want yeah. people to be like, oh, so there's certain behaviors you think yeah, are yeah. wicked. Like, not no, someone who's what, just, what we need is mean yeah. is people who have not received Jesus. Yes, as, all of us at yes. this table apart yes. from Jesus. That's exactly like, right. So the, sorry, yeah. I, I just you're sure. right. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So you've got that traditional view, which is what at the Austin Stone, what we would believe, we would hold to. Then you've got uh, the other extreme would be the universalism view, which would just say that everyone goes to, to heaven. There's different ways to cut that up, but mm -hmm. yeah. uh, there are philosophers even today who are writing on this. It's fairly popular in philosophical yeah. thought that that everyone goes, that God's going to save everyone. You even saw it with, uh, with you know, the Rob Bell book, that the love wins, like that kind of idea is, is out there. Mm -hmm. um, that would be the far end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got um, what is different names, but annihilation, mm -hmm. anni annihilationism mm -hmm. um, or conditional mortality to where this would be that, uh, that the, the wicked, those who've rejected God in this life, they, for a time, some have mm -hmm. differing views on this, but eventually God would, would 
destroy or snuff out the wicked that mm-hmm. there's there's no they're no longer in existence that God mm-hmm. judges them maybe they pay for their sins for a for a while um, they're eventually though eradicated from existence and then you have God making all things right and there is no place called called hell mm-hmm. um, after he's he's done that um, then you have uh, you know, the Roman Catholic doctrines with purgatory and, yeah. and different kinds of cleansings that prepare someone for heaven. Uh, you've got some of that, you know, that, mm-hmm. that language there. Um, but, but those are, you know, some of the, the views that are out there. Then you have the inclusivist view, which would be um, those who've not heard the gospel, that yeah. there may be a chance for them to, um, that their sincerity of faith, which is measured in different ways, mm-hmm. would get them into to heaven, that Christ would apply his atoning work to them based on their sincerity of faith. Yeah. And that kind of helps some people get out from under the whole, those who have not heard the gospel, what yeah. happens to them kind of thing. So those are the sort of the, yeah. you know, kind of just a, a sketch of what's of what's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. As far as where, like, where would you say, so I know you said um, we as a church probably go more into that traditionalist view where it's um, uh, eternal punishment. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when we think about the concept of hell, like as presented to us in the Bible, but then also these differing views, like where, when does it become like a primary doctrine or tertiary doctrine? Like how does that break down? Yeah, I would, I mean, I put it in, you know, primary doctrines are ones that would be, uh, you know, what it means to be a Christian. To be yeah. a Christian, you pretty much have to believe yeah. something about these things. Like these, yeah. these are kind of top shelf, yeah. you know, or front page kind of you know things. B doctrines would be more of where do I go to church? What mm-hmm. I believe about baptism? What I believe about church government? Mm-hmm. The roles of men and women in the church? Like mm-hmm. those are you know Lord's Supper. Um, then you have third level, which would be more of like conscience issues. What do I yeah. think about alcohol? How do I deal with you know entertainment culture? Like those. Mm-hmm you know, differing views on that. So I would put this up there in an A doctrine because even even Apostles' Creed, which was yep. in, you know, the 200s AD, very soon after the New Testament was written, you've got the language of he will judge the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. So in all of the major, um, major traditions of Christianity, you have, you know, Trinity, Scripture, Salvation, man, what it means to be a human, mm-hmm. um, and then judgment yeah. in in kind of the top yeah. kind of the top ten. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. high up there. So I would put it extremely high uh when it comes to the the doctrine of and I'll, again I would probably want to expand it to uh to final judgment. Mm. Um final yeah. judgment and then and then future things, what's yeah. coming, you know, for not just the doctrine of hell itself, but but all mm-hmm. that God's gonna do when when he makes all things all things new yeah so yeah i mean i th- i think in our place in our context we're so obsessed with the here and now that it's hard to think about future things yeah and i think for people who have gone before us who even you know uh mortality rates were higher and you were dying sooner like you had to think much yeah. more proactively about future things to come I do think it's important that the linear nature of history is an is essential kind of piece. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think for for if I was talking to someone listening asking that question, I, I would want to tell them the fact that God is going to judge living and the dead, the fact mm-hmm. that hell is real is essential. Because because yeah. again, to for G, to believe that Jesus died for my sins in my place mm-hmm. has to mean something. Now, will every 
believer for our time be able to sketch out well, what did it mean like yeah. sketch out for me what hell means yeah no right they they won't not every believer mm-hmm. thinks first first century christians they probably couldn't sketch out a metaphysical <laughs> what is hell and yeah. how does it work and how does it work with people who haven't heard the gospel like they haven't thought through all those questions yet but i i do think it's worth noting though when it comes to this doctrine you should a a along with hell and these different things you mentioned a posture towards god's word is part of what the essential nature of what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I think if if we view uh, faith as a, I arrived at the right beliefs and therefore I'm good, I would say it's more often than not what Jesus uses as the the barometer for people's actual understanding and faithfulness in sort of where the primary belief systems mm-hmm. are is an ongoing abiding in his word and, and how his word relates to me. So for instance, you can say, yeah, I believe in hell. But then when you read texts that talk about the eternality of it, mm-hmm. you can't just go, well, I don't well, I don't believe that. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't comfort yourself by saying, mm-hmm. Well, I believe in hell. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe what that verse says clearly. Yeah. Or or to 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 other people's points, I can't I don't feel any obligation to make sense of that verse. Mm-hmm. I just want to dismiss it outright. And I think that's where we get into deconstructionist sort of f- sort of experiences for for people that a lot I mean, this last year. The number of people who have publicly deconstructed their faith yep. has been a lot of people. And I think that usually happens because they arrived at conclusions and forgot that the the primary thing is not to say, I know I have all my right theology right now. Mm-hmm. No, that, that it should have been, I have a posture before God and his word that is humble and submissive in an ongoing way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where things like hell, because if you're listening to this and you're 22 years old, I guarantee your understanding of what the judgment of God is, is going to change and morph and grow and get more firm and less firm on different topics. Yeah. And you didn't realize you inherited certain worldviews and inherited certain mm-hmm. ideas. That's what part of sanctification is. But I, I think I get fearful when people ask that question, not because it's a bad question, more because I think there's a level of security that I want to have that I said the right answer and less of a posture of, I tremble and submit to God's word, no matter what it says. Because like you said, I'm going to read various doctrines. You're going to read John Stott. It's a different view than our church has. Mm -hmm. You're going to read different people. And John Stott's a faithful Christian who, as far as I can tell, is in heaven with Jesus right now, right? But he has a different view on hell than we do. We wouldn't say you're not a Christian. But also, too, is that I would want you to have the level of, and that's what we always do with the stone, even if you disagree with us on a particular doctrine, Mm -hmm. so long as you're willing to process that with us, talk about this, not not even teach contrary, but you can believe contrary. We're open to those things, but it's still forcing you to go, but make sense of what his word says and put them all the pieces together. And that's what I think this doctrine, people will go, just tell me what I got to believe to to, to get in instead of going, everything God says in this word is so good for us. And if I don't want to make sense of it, at some level that should make me concerned yeah. that I actually don't want to have an ongoing relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to be able to like m- negotiate with him. Yeah. Like, like basically like, like two nations coming to terms, like you have your space, I have my space. Mm-hmm. There's a treaty between us, but he wants to reconcile a relationship. So I just want to, uh, from a pastoral perspective, go, Gre- everything Greg says is absolutely true, but also keep going to the scriptures and making sense of them mm-hmm. and have your understanding refined over time. Because I'm telling you, going through suffering makes your doctrines more specific and more precise because yeah. suffering, it it really 
prunes us in yeah. a way. Yeah. So some of this too is looking at um, the the you know the weight of church history on on this. There's been there's been you know various views that have been kind of scattered throughout the last. 1900, 2000 years of church history, but there's something about a view that, that is upheld for that long where you can't just, yeah. you yeah. can't just go, yeah, I, I know what, what Christians for centuries have said, yeah. but I'm going to redefine it yeah. you know, now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we also have to look in the text and see what there's certainly things that have, that have, we've shifted, you know, in, in certain mm-hmm. ways and views that have, uh, you know, I- evolved in some sense that, I mean, the, the doctrine of the Trinity wasn't fully worked out until the 300s, you know, yeah. and now it existed before that, right. but the formulation of that. And so yeah. we have to always check ourselves, but we can't, you know, ignore 2000 years of history that has affirmed the the coming judgment in some form. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think, I guess the question you're trying to get at in some sense was, can you can you have a different view on this? Can this be optional? Can it be optional, and can it even be, you know, whatever the word for not secondary, but even below tertiary? Can, yeah, it, can, it, even, can it be way down the list for me, yeah. and I still faithfully yeah. believe the Bible and, and follow Jesus? And yeah, and, or even like, man, can I land in that? Um, because, yeah, I follow um, and listen to a lot of teachers who have the, even the annihilationist view. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where they'll take, you know, John 3.16, mm-hmm. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, yeah. mm-hmm. but like have eternal life. Yeah. Like I've seen that brought up. Yeah. Uh, but then in light of other passages yep. where it seems like there's eternal conscious torment, like yep. I'm, I, I think personally am like, always wrestling between yeah. those two. Yeah. What What is it? Mm-hmm. But I also know those are more faithful to the text than maybe a universalist like point of view yeah, yeah. that would just come in and say like, hey, like it's not really a thing anyone should worry yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I think that's kind of where like I have questions on like what, like, like if someone like has that annihilationist view or um, if someone like believes that hell like is a general concept, but everyone will be saved, you yeah. know, like yeah. where does that fall? I, I guess, yeah. but uh, it might be going on a rabbit trail, but um, I know some people might be thinking that. Yeah. I, again, I, I think it's, there are, here, here's why I would say it because I think it, it, re- it requires study. It requires mm-hmm. going to actually like specific texts mm-hmm. to, to understand what we're talking about. I think anytime a plain meaning of the text is seen as not true, and you have to you want to do all sorts of um, use complicated ways of understanding very very plain mm-hmm. text. Mm-hmm. That is always a bad trajectory for yeah. where you're going to end up when it comes to Jesus, because eventually you're going to get to a place of does Jesus really matter and mm-hmm. is he important? Yeah. And so that, that's what I would say for for anyone in the kind of throes of this. And studying this is anytime there's a plain meaning of a text, go with the plain meaning of the text. And the hard part about theology is going, what do you do when plain meaning of texts seem to contradict mm-hmm. or I don't know how they work together? Yeah. Guess what? You are not the only Christian who's been faithful <laughs> Welcome to and, theology. Rest, and wrestled with this. But <laughs> yeah. I do think that's really helpful. Like you said, Greg, it's important to recognize the 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 diversity of the church across time and space and ethnic group. And yet they all this is where like Nicene Creed stuff is helpful. Yeah. They all see these same things. Mm-hmm. That's really, really important for people to have to, to wrestle yeah. with and go, no, there there are people all over Africa and Asia and Europe and North and South America. Yeah. And different languages and, and different. And have yeah. all been like, it's at least these things. It's at least these, yeah. That has that yeah. the, the amount of hubris it has to be to go, nope, not for me. Yeah. 
there has to be some level of humility before what God's revealed in his church over the years. I would say with the universal, you know, universalism view, they're clearly the people that I've read, they use the Bible. They're not, they're not just out there making emotional arguments, Mm -hmm. but that one, that one is outside the bounds of orthodoxy. That one would put you in a camp that I I don't, what what, what would orthodoxy, orthodoxy, what all, what, what, most Christians for church history have believed. I mean, mm-hmm. that just that core, the mere Christianity language yeah. uh, that, that Lewis used. Though, obviously, we're going to differ on areas of emphasis, and but, but Catholics, you know, Eastern Orthodox, Protestants, for the most part, could agree that these are the, the core essentials of... Now, evangelicals are going to emphasize, you know, different, different, you know, issues of salvation, um, scripture, you know, the authority of Scripture, inspiration of Scripture, but you have a a body of doctrine that is out there that most Christians would would agree on. Um, universalism is never in in that camp. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to have to deny a lot of texts to think that that God saves everyone. Mm-hmm. So it just puts you in a place where uh, you're having to reinterpret. I mean, a lot of passages and 2,000 years of church history mm. to to affirm. I'm not saying that there aren't people who love Jesus, who believe the Bible, who affirm that view. I'm just saying it takes a lot to yeah. get there. Um, the annihilationist view uh, would be one that uh, the authors I've read, it is, it, it is a text-driven view. I always question the motives for why someone arrives there. Yeah. Why, why are you trying to—because no one interprets the Bible— from neutrality. We all bring something to the yeah. text. And I, I'll tell you right and, now, like part of my like wrestle yeah. with that is like, okay, would would you rather someone go through yep. eternal yep. conscious torment yep. or just like have, I mean, Eventually, honestly, a Thanos yeah. snap. Yeah. Like, I mean, gone. yeah, rather, rather go that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I, you're, you're totally right. Yep. Um, and for the people listening to this who are more like me on this, like yep. it's all, it's always okay to, understand like where you're truly coming from, yep. like when it comes to like your view of things are like bias, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from with that. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, I, I think that, I mean, I think the, the question always goes back to what is, what is driving your, your wrestle with this? We can't, we can't just set our emotions aside. And mm-hmm. when we come to the Bible and think, well, I'll put that aside and I'll just deal with facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to bring that into it. That's just part of the human experience, part of what it means to I mean, to interpret scripture is to bring in, and that's why we need faithful teachers and those who aren't from the same background as us, different languages than us to figure mm-hmm. out, can we arrive at the same conclusions with this? And so yeah. with the, you know, with the annihilationist view, um, there, it feels like there's an attempt to soften, even though mm-hmm. those who would affirm it are like, no, we're yeah. not. It's still severe judgment. It doesn't temper mm-hmm. evangelism at, you know, um, to me, it feels like there is something softening with that uh, because it is cutting against that kind of traditional view of, mm-hmm. of what the church is always. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's that I'm right on all aspects of this, yeah. that I couldn't there, there couldn't be good debate on this. Um, but I want the text to be what's driving our doctrine, if by all means possible. Uh, and leading us to these. So if it's hard, I don't want to just go, well, what it actually means is, like Tyler's saying, just the plain meaning of eternal. I've seen the ways that those guys want to kind of tweak that language. And if it applies to hell, it also applies to heaven. So if hell's not eternal, then the way Matthew 25 seems to put it is that Mm -hmm. heaven's not eternal. Mm -hmm. So it just brings in all kinds of problems that I don't know how to solve. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But again, I feel the emotional kind of yeah. twinge well, over, you and, know, and the to, traditional... And to that view. eternal piece, well, I remember one of the most helpful things that I ever read was D.A. Carson. He talks about how in the Old Testament, most of the punishment is in this life, right? Yeah. When there's judgment, it's always in this life, in this and it's life. death. Yeah. And, it, and it's it's temp- it's it's like done, in mm-hmm. a sense. And when Jesus gets here, the, his, his whole point is, as the reward goes up, so does the punishment go up for yeah. those who reject it. Mm-hmm. So as as the gift goes up, mm-hmm. they, 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 there's a, a correlation there, right? Whereas the the blessing in the Old Testament was land mm-hmm. and property and prosperity here and now. There wasn't yeah. much talk. I mean, there was some, but it's it's very hidden nuance. It's not as clear about what's after when you die. Mm-hmm. So you're you're with Abraham, with God in some yeah. form or fashion, right? But as New Testament, Jesus comes and he gives this level of clarity that no one's had before. That's why when he teaches, everyone's like, we've never heard anyone yeah. teach this level of authority because Jesus is describing things he's seen, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's a level of authority when you're, no, I'm describing something I've seen. I know what's true. So I think for for us is going as he talks about eternal life as the reward, now eternal death becomes the punishment that yeah. corresponds mm-hmm. because it doesn't speak to, again, God's harshness. Mm-hmm. It speaks to the value of who God is. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to say that like this is why there's in, in any just, you know, uh judicial system, you would never have the same punishment for every offense. Mm-hmm. Right. You you would never have a death penalty for every for a traffic stop. Yeah. Right. Like you you wouldn't have that as the actual what's right and good. You would have various sorts of punishments depending on the offense. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you determine what how the punishment should be? It's what's the value of the thing you're being broken. Yeah. So if you get if you the value of speeding, right? Well, you're trying to protect human life, you're trying to keep orderly kind of streets or whatever. Well, it would be ridiculous to say and there's a death penalty for going seven over. But when you murder somebody, now we can death penalty is a whole different conversation, but let, just bear with say with me. All of us would say for murder there should be the highest possible yeah. penalty, whatever you think the penalty should be. Well, why is the penalty changing? Because the value of what's being offended has yeah. gone up, mm-hmm. right? Well, if God himself is eternal and his value is infinite, then it's not about does the offender themselves have the propensity to be eternal and infinite themselves. Mm-hmm. It's who have they offended. Yeah. And again, it puts God back at the center. So when Jesus comes, he raises what the reward is, mm-hmm. but also he himself, which to Greg's point, I think the reason Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else because there's no one else who is qualified enough to talk about such a such a weighty, sobering, sorrowful thing yeah. than Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's no one else who, who uh, only the one who's dying for sin should be the one to talk most about the punishment for sin mm-hmm. because he's the only one who really knows. I, I, by his kindness, will never know what hell is like. Yeah. But he does. And so he will be the one to talk about it in ways that no one else can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that's for us is it, it when, we, when we root it only in what does it say about the human being suffering the consequence, we in some ways we're go, we're putting humans back in the center, and yeah. then the whole world breaks down. When God gets back in the center, all of a sudden you go, it's about He's been the one wronged, mm-hmm. He's been the one offended, yeah. and He's protecting His value and saying, I am so valuable yeah. that this is the this is the punishment for devaluing me. Mm-hmm. In the same way, again, use our use like horizontal illustrations, understand vertical ones. That's why we have different penalties for different offenses because the mm-hmm. value of what you're offending yeah. is what determines the penalty uh, given for offending. So I, 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 that, again, we've been talking about this in a very heady way because I think mm-hmm. it's a philosophical intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. Let me just say really clearly, this is weighty to work through with you're looking at someone in the face. Yeah. And we I never want to communicate this as if we're just glibly talking yeah. about the weightiest reality in the universe. Yep. Like 
the most sobering reality in the entire universe is what we're talking about. Yeah. And so there's actually no amount of, of sobriety or tears that I could give right now that would actually um, adequately express the weight of what we're talking about. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want people to go to, to think that talking about it like we're talking about it means we don't feel it. Yeah. Um, we do deeply. But I also want to go, there is actually no way of feeling to to adequately express how weighty the mm -hmm. thing we're discussing is. So Yeah. I think the God, the God centeredness of of this discussion, I think that's super helpful. Just the, you know, the Edwards language of, yep. you know, an uh, you know, a, a finite finite sins against an infinite being. Yes. What what does that merit? Yeah. It, it merits infinite yeah. punishment. I mean, it's yep. it's it's ongoing. Yeah. Um, because of the value of, yeah. of who God is and and what He's done, and so I I think that's that's where I think is what's on the line is with this. If you start kind of messing with yeah. this, um, and again, I'm I'm not saying that someone who's an annihilationist is outside the right. bounds of orthodoxy mm -hmm. and they're heretical and any of that. Mm -hmm. um, I I just feel like there's something about God at stake that. That needs to be kept in that conversation if someone's going to move in yeah. that in that direction. That's yeah. that's kind of how I feel you know, with that. That's so, so good, man. Um, Y'all know we're a little over time. We can go all day, there, man. We yeah, <laughs> man. He's there, there, I know. Can do, can go I know. That's what I do now. Yeah. So just keep going. Just keep rolling. Um, Y'all, there are so many things. Like I, 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 I have two more questions. Okay, I have two more questions. Are you are you okay for maybe? Five no, I'm more great. Minutes? No, I was actually looking for a text. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, all right. This question I know since we started talking about this is one of those things that most of our listeners uh, have had in the back of their minds. Like when it comes to like like God and hell and like us being wicked. And we, we see in the scriptures that we were born into this because of what Adam and Eve had done. Like we had inherited that wickedness and that sinfulness. Um, and we also do wicked things. But so in relation to the unborn, mm -hmm. young children, um, those with limited mental capacity, like where do those people go mm -hmm. when... Um, yeah, when they die, uh, yeah. or when it comes to um, hell and salvation. Yeah, uh, the the mental mental capacity question is, is pretty interesting. There's some um, I came across some research. Uh, a couple guys, John Kilner, uh, Mark Cortez, they're philosopher theologians. They've done some research on essentially the spirituality of those with with mental disabilities. Um, and some of the, just some of the, it's mostly just, you know, it's mostly stories of just, of, of testimonies of those who have mental, you know, disabilities, but their experience of God, it's mm. pretty fascinating that there, there may be some things we just assume that, oh, they can't know who God is. Mm. There's been some research recently that has pushed mm. back against that and has said, no, there could be, because of the image of God, how, mm -hmm. how deep that is in yeah. us, um, that there's a relationship with God that's potential. I'm not saying that they're, yeah. you know, that that means they're saved or, but yeah. there's, it is interesting what what's out there, you know, with that. Um, historically, the answer has, you know, that the church has for the most part given is mm -hmm. that all, you know, all infants, all those who died in infancy, mm -hmm. uh, those with mental disabilities and have don't have the capacity to, uh, you know, to, to know God, to believe mm -hmm. in who God, you know, who God is, they would go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, I I, th I find the arguments for especially those who died in infancy pretty compelling, just because, 
I mean, the character and nature of God, the the issue with David when his, you know, his child dies and he says, you know, I will, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. Mm. Again, that's a very, very dim, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's something that yeah, they, they understood there to be. Um, and then there's just the, if, if those who die in infancy, if they, if they were to go to hell, they would need to know what they're there for, what they're being punished for, what, and there really is no good answer, you know, for that. So, so I think you can logically get there to where all those who die in infancy, um, my pastoral response and my theological response would be that they go to heaven. If I'm wrong on that, then the, again, the, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. God mm -hmm. will, you know, he, he values their, in his image, that all of that language, um, Romans one may help some with it to where Romans one, yeah. you know, those who have seen the general revelation of God in creation have, they are without excuse. Uh, they cannot say they don't know that there is a God and that he's big and that he's good because look at the heavens. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're, if you die in infancy or you don't have ability to take that in, then you maybe you have an excuse that that you're not without excuse in that in that sense. So mm. I would just use texts like that to say I can probably get there, um, and and say that with confidence that all those who die in infancy that's this has been the traditional reform view. Yeah. Westminster yeah. Confession, yeah. you know, is is explicit about this. So I just I don't want to go the other route and say well mm. actually there yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know how you get there. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it does mess with the doctrine of original sin that we inherit Adam's. Mm. Guilt and pollution. Yeah, you know yeah. that that's the that's the language that we you know would use on that. Um, but there's a sense of them, uh, you know, infants not knowing right and wrong, not being yeah. able to commit you know good or evil. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, the, and then from yeah. there, but, uh, real quick. So so I I know there's that conversation, but then there's also the unreached. Yeah. Um, those who have never heard about the gospel or Jesus, and obviously you have the like them being able to see like creation mm -hmm. and like God's glory displayed and yeah. all of that. But then yeah. like they never hear the gospel. So yeah. they never, um, they're, they're never able to like accept like, mm -hmm. like Jesus um, and therefore go to heaven. So, yeah. so they go to hell, yeah. like as we're also wrestling with that, like, what would you say? Like, I mean, the scriptures have to say about that. Yeah. I, I think they're, they're slightly different conversations, but they're still mm. in that they're with they're, they die without a knowledge of you know of of Jesus. I think the place to start is when when the gospel is moving in the book of Acts, when the the, the church is is spreading. Uh, there are a few places in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit uh, commands them not to go into certain places. Um, forbids them yep. to go, don't go here, but go over here. And, you know, and surely there's someone who's not been reached in those areas where they forbid them to go. Right. Um, so here's where you get into the mystery of God's, you know, God's movement throughout history of where God, the wind blow. This is the John 3, the Holy Spirit, the wind's blowing where where it wishes. And, yeah. you know, so I so I, I don't want to, it, you know, immediately say, well, they just go to heaven. You know, the, the old adage of what happens to the innocent guy in, you know, yeah. North Africa that has never heard the gospel. Well, there's not one. There's not an innocent guy yeah. in anywhere in the world that uh, all have sinned, all have fallen short of, of the glory of God. That's why they... That's why they're in hell. They've, they deserve to be there because their sins have merited that. Um, now, are there different different degrees of punishment in hell? I'm open to that That 
kind of language. Mm-hmm. Um, when Jesus says things like it would be, it will be worse on that day for these certain cities than it will be for these other ones because they yeah. saw the miracles yeah. and there's something to that. Uh, that theologians have used some of that language before to say that there could be different, based on your knowledge of of what you know of God, there there could be punishment that's different uh, for those that have heard the gospel for right. decades and have never right. embraced it. So yeah. I, that's where I'd start with it, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're asking me what what happens to those who, I, I think that again, it's the same it's the same response of those who've heard the gospel and rejected it. Of those who've not heard it, yeah, because I don't think there will be anybody in in hell who would have been in heaven had they heard the gospel and believed. Yeah, that that's just my belief in God's sovereignty and <sighs> yeah, and God's wisdom in in the world. And, so, and, and I think maybe just to I know we're running out of time, but maybe just just to frame it up, I think what's important, people, when when you're doing the hard work of theology, is what you're going to have is blocks of truth. Yeah, that they don't always know how to connect together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important just to say to people is going. Part of what the hard work and we have to be we have to be slow to speak sometimes is when I have the reason I know people are being judged by God is Romans one and two is creation and conscience. Mm-hmm. Creation and conscience testify to people, and that's the basis of their judgment. Yeah. Now the text in Romans one clearly perceived in creation. Well, if you don't have the ability to perceive, to perceive it, creation yeah. or conscience, that has some bearing. Mm-hmm. But we have that we have actual blocks of I know that humanity is under the judgment of God. I have clear bl- blocks of there's no salvation outside of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I have the clear block of God is c- extremely compassionate and kind and aware of everyone's circumstances in a way where he sees people and their difficulty. He sees, he sees, um, oh, I'm forgetting her name in Genesis 16. He sees her being cast out by Abraham and sees her in a unique way, mm-hmm. even though she's not part of the people of God. Like God is this one who sees those outside of his people and has compassion on them. Yep. And we have all these blocks, and they're like, well, what for the things that seem to not fit into those categories? Mm-hmm. I think we just have to go, the, what I would say is anything, any conclusion of tying those things together that nullifies one of those blocks is untrue. And I think we have to be okay mm-hmm. sometimes with going, I don't know how yeah. it all works. Yeah. And if, But here's what I would say. If you are diminishing the need for someone to trust in Christ now mm-hmm. by base of any of those <clears throat> things, I would say you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Any conclusion that comes to, so trusting in Jesus is more or less not important, Mm -hmm. you're wrong. Every one of those things should make anyone who's hearing it, instead of worrying about their story and what happened to them, worry about your story. We're coming back to Narnia again. Here we go. But but this is the horse and his boy. Aslan will not tell this this boy other people's stories. His whole point is, I'll tell you your story. I will not speak to you about other people's stories. And this is where the, the verse that I've gone to again and again and I think it's maybe a fitting way to end, is Deuteronomy 29, 29. They, 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 they get the, the covenant from God. They get all the, the, all the promises and all the, the, the blessings and the destruction that'll come. And it ends with, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Mm-hmm. And it's important people to remember, there are secret things that belong to God he is not going to give to mm-hmm. us and we don't know. And so, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean, well, because he doesn't give us everything, I don't have to obey. Yeah. No, it always means, but the things that are revealed belong to us. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about someone else's story who's passed away, to be very honest, you should be less concerned about them and their outcomes and more concerned about you and your outcomes. That, that That's when people, people go yeah. to Jesus in Luke 13, and there's unjust suffering in the world. And they're like, these people died, these people died. Jesus does not go, let's obsess about their story yeah. and how it worked out. He goes, 
you should, you're, you're not any better than them. Yep. You should repent today. And that's what I would say to anybody yeah, is yeah. going, when you wrestle through these things, what your sin and what Satan in the world wants to do is to say, this means you shouldn't have to obey him because mm -hmm. you don't know how it all works. That actually is exactly what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. All these things should make us go, man, do the hard work of how, how do all these blocks of truth in the scripture fit together? Mm -hmm. how, how, do, how do I build? And that's what theology is. Yeah. How do I build a world from the blocks that are given to me? But also, too, I just find right now, and I think I don't want young Christians to be deceived into thinking, the aim of demonic beings in this world and the world around you is to show when you can't tie the blocks of truth together, you shouldn't trust it. Yeah, that the whole thing is the whole thing crashing is, down. And I, you have to go, yeah. the secret, I don't know how it all works together. I don't yeah. know how God's sovereignty, human responsibility no. works out, but I do know he's trustworthy. Yeah. And how do you know, back to Greg's initial point, because he gave me his son, because mm -hmm. he's yeah. good. He's good. And I think this we have to go. He's good and he's just. And I know that in the end, when we look at God's judgments, we will all go, he was right and right. good yep. and, and loving to do so. Hmm. But that's going to become, again, mm -hmm. this is where we we feel how creaturely we are right now. And that's just, I, people need to sit in that. When you get into these massive weighty doctrines, you know where you're going to feel like you're not in charge yeah. and you don't run things. Yeah. And you're going to want to find a way to get security out of that. But guess what? It will not give it to you because mm, yeah. life is just going to teach you you are small and fragile and weak and vulnerable. And the gospel says, and you can be loved too. Amen. That's so good. That's good. Man, Greg. Yeah, pastor, man. Equipping teaching, let's, let's everything, do, do some power pastor cleans. of uh, C.S. Lewis <laughs> in CrossFit. Honestly, I've never quoted C.S. Lewis more than in this podcast. I know. I was wow. like, I had nothing else to add. How is all, all the good quotes? Man. So that's great. As um, long as somebody's doing it, I'm good. You've trained yeah, me well. Good. That's right. <laughs> uh, Y'all, uh, thanks for listening to The Green Room today. Y'all, there are so many things we could talk about. Um, we definitely want to have someone from our For the Nations team come on and even talk to us about the unreached and what uh, we can do as Christians to uh, share the gospel with them and reach them. But uh, today, Greg, this was so awesome. We're definitely going to have to have you back um, it, and talk next more. Week, no, whether <laughs> We'll reschedule it three yeah. times and then we'll do it. Yeah, man. Until, until you go on sabbatical, then, which is like right. a, a month right. or so. That's right. Um, Greg, do you have any final words, just something quick for yeah. uh, our people. I think with this doctrine, um, I want our people to, to, all the things Tyler's saying about, you know, the God-centeredness of God, you know, with this aspect of keeping God in, in the center of this, feeling the weight of this. I just want our people, especially those who are re new, new, new to faith or, you know, new Christians or even wrestling, kind of kicking the tires of Christianity mm. to wrestle with this, to go deep into this, uh, to to not delve into this without prayer. I don't think you can, you should or can do that. It can't just be merely intellectual. That's good. Um, but pressing into God with this and and feeling the weight of it and letting that letting God work this into your into your soul to where you feel this is a good doctrine as painful and as severe as it is. Yeah. Um, His Word is I think is clear on this and that we're, we don't want to be embarrassed by this and shrink back. Uh, we want to be humble and, and be broken over this, and that lead us to, I think, both holiness and and good evangelism, good mission. Yeah. So That's so good. Thank you so much, Pastor. And uh, man, if you guys want to learn more about doctrine, theology, uh, we talked a lot about ASI, um, and that's where Greg is our pastor of equipping. Uh, you can go to austinstoneinstitute.org. Um, 
ASI uh, exists to train leaders for the church, city, and nations. And we have a bunch of classes, recordings, and seminars for you to uh, continue to dig into the scriptures and to help you love Jesus more. Uh, So that's it for the green room today. Remember to subscribe and that's a wrap. It's a wrap. Thank you for being our guest in the green room. Remember, if you want more vulnerable conversations, then share, like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at college underscore Austin Stone. See you next time.